0: mind turning to the book of Hebrews and chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There are some in the back, and if you, if you don't own a Bible, those are free to you as a gift. We'd love to get rid of those that you might have a Bible. So Hebrews chapter 12, you can also look on the screen next to me. We're in this mini-series in the latter part of the book of Hebrews. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. Please follow along as I read from God's Word. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us and that you would open our hearts. And that you would open the the eyes of our hearts to see and understand this passage and to be helped by it. So help us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. There are certain people in the world who who face incredible challenges, but but they endure. And, And Winston Churchill is certainly among them sort of the epitome of this kind of person who faces incredible challenges and and endures through them and inspires others to do the same. He was, of course, the Prime Minister of Great Britain during World War II, and he inspired an entire nation to endure that challenging, challenging situation. He once gave a speech. During the darkest times of the war, as I understand at least, had only seven words in the speech. They were as follows. Never, 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 never give up. That was his entire speech. Near the end of his life, he was invited to give a commencement address. He had to be helped to the podium. He stood there holding on to the podium for a long time with his head down. And finally, he raised his voice. And for the last time in public, he spoke publicly, saying the following... Never give up! Never give up! Never give up! And he went back to his seat. That's a great way to give a speech. I think you could summarize the intended effect on our lives of this book of Hebrews like that. The thing God wants to get done in our lives, the the intended hoped-for impact, is that you would never, never, never give up in your faith in Jesus Christ. That you, would, that you would endure whatever happens, trusting Him and following Him by faith. So we should ask, where does that kind of spiritual endurance come from? Where do you get that from? The kind of spiritual endurance of soul that says, I will never, never, never give up by grace as I follow Jesus by faith. Where does that come from? How how do you endure in your faith like that, particularly when times are hard? Particularly when the going gets tough and the trials come and the difficulties come and maybe forms of suffering come? You know, for the difficult. Parenting situation. Where does that kind of endurance come from for parents to to not give up but keep going by faith? For For the single adult seeking to honor Jesus in their singleness, how do they never, never, never give up living for Jesus Christ by faith? For the teenager who might be facing some real difficulties, how do they, by faith, keep going? For those in a difficult work situation. For those facing difficult financial situations. Or maybe for those in a health crisis. How do you keep going and keep enduring and keep hoping? Where does that kind of endurance come from? How do you get that? Well, the answer here that God gives is to see all of those situations in the context of a family, of being in God's family. To view all of those situations through the through the prism of being in God's family through Jesus Christ. To see all of them through the lens of the lens of knowing God as your father and you as the child he is Loves. Because we find here, when we do that, when we use that prism, when we use that lens, we see more clearly. We see three things more clearly. We understand three vital things. The first is this we first understand the Father's training. We first understand the Father's training in and through our hardships. And trials. You might recall these these early Christians were experiencing persecution. Some had seen their friends; it seems thrown into prison. Some had their their stuff, their property plundered, and, and maybe maybe it's about to get worse. Verse four seems to indicate that. Where we read, "In your struggle against sin, probably the sin of unbelief, you've not yet resisted, not yet to the point of shedding your blood." So it seems. Hey, things could get worse. Things might get worse. And so they were struggling, particularly, like I said, with the sin of unbelief. Maybe some are wondering, where is God in this? Has God left us? Has God abandoned us in this trial, and this difficulty? Has God turned our backs on us in this persecution? Maybe, maybe you can relate to that feeling right now. Your own trial. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering, has God abandoned me? Has God maybe forgotten about me? Or does he just not care? Well, the wise pastor here in the book of Hebrews addresses that very thing. He gives them and us a A new lens for our trials and our hardships, the lens of God's word, which he quotes in Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 5. Here he quotes Proverbs 3, saying, My son, this address, he says, God addressing you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the notice, the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved, when corrected by him. Notice why. For the Lord. The Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Now, now, at first sight, this might not seem so encouraging for you. You might say, can I get a different lens for my hardships, please? Because of this word discipline, it can kind of throw us because we think, probably we think punishment of some kind, but that's not what God is saying. This idea of discipline is really, it's really one of training, Parental training or parental education. It's the kind of training a loving parent would do with his or her child. So catch this with me. If you're in God's family by trusting Jesus Christ, God is not punishing you by that hardship. God is not punishing you By a trial. I can say that confidently because for the believer in Jesus, that punishment has been taken away. Right? Jesus Christ has already endured the full fury of God's wrath against our sins for the believer in Jesus. In fact, He's risen from the grave proving emphatically to you that no payment remains, no punishment remains, no condemnation remains for your sins. Amen? Amen. That's good news, friends. But God doesn't just forgive you as great as that is. He doesn't just declare you righteous before Him as as amazing as that is. He then adopts the believer as His child. He makes you His deeply loved child and becomes your Father in Heaven. And I just want to say here, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, you, you too can experience this forgiveness and this love, you, know, you and I, you and I have treated God badly. I have, at least, and probably you can understand that we've we've treated God badly. But He's not turned our ba- His back on us. Rather, there is there is hope. He's given the hope of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and the hope of knowing God's love. He has sent His Son. God became a man. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross to receive the punishment I deserve and that you deserve. He rose from the dead so that all who would turn to Him and, and trust in what He's done, all who would trust in and rely on what Jesus has done, they know that forgiveness of sins, that punishment is taken away and they are made God's child. And I want to I urge you this morning that you would turn to Jesus and trust in Him like that. This message is, is really geared toward those who have already believed. But would you, friend, as you listen, consider Jesus and look to His saving work for you. All that, all that you might call the Gospel. Okay? It's the good news of Jesus. And the point is here, the point is that, that Gospel must be the way in which we interpret our hardships and our trials. You see, as human beings, we are, we are interpreters. You realize that? We are meaning makers. We don't just live out of raw facts. We, we, we try to make sense out of life. We don't just have data. We, we try to connect the dots. And we say, aha, this means this and this means this. And so when we experience trials... And when we experience difficulties, how do we interpret that oftentimes? We can think of it as punishment, can't we? If we have a theistic worldview, if God is in our worldview, God is in our picture frame, we think, I've done something wrong and now God is angry with me. But if you're a Christian, you need the gospel interpretation, which says, God has already com- uh, condemned rather, your sins in full, and there's no double jeopardy with God. You're not put on trial twice. That's not allowed in our legal system. It's not done by God either. There's no condemnation, no punishment, no payment remaining. That means, track with me, that means our trials for the Christian, our trials are not a form of punishment, not a form of condemnation. It's fatherly discipline. It's fatherly Training out of love. That's how Proverbs 3 interprets our hardships as verse 7 begins to explain. Look down to verse 7 where the writer now applies Proverbs 3 and says it is for discipline, training that you have to endure. God, he says, is treating you as as sons, as His children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? What what loving father does not do that? If you are left without discipline, which all have participated. He said, actually then, you are illegitimate children and not sons. So so catch what he's saying. Without this kind of discipline, without this kind of training, you're you're an illegitimate child. You're not a true child of God. So, So... your hardships, he's saying, your trials, your difficulties, they are, they are, he's saying, a necessary part of a genuine relationship with God as Father. Think, think about it like this. Take, take it into the human realm. When my children were younger, and we would biblically, lovingly, physically discipline them if their behavior was warranting that, after I would physically discipline them, I would put them in my lap and we would talk about what they did. I would lead them into asking daddy's forgiveness. I would forgive. We would talk about how we together need a savior, not just them, but daddy too, that Jesus is our hope. We would hope in Jesus. We would trust in Jesus together. And then I would say, okay, now give daddy a hug. And they, they knew what was happening next because they would begin to give daddy a hug and I would get right into their armpits and tickle them. And they would laugh and giggle and, and, and we would just hold each other and, and, and have fun that way. And, and the reason for that was that I was reminding them my discipline was not proof that I didn't love them. The opposite was true. My discipline was proof that I was a father who does love them and did love them. And that was proof that they are my deeply loved children. And that's what God is saying. As hard as this is for us to grasp, the trials, the hardship, are proof that we are His child. The discipline, the the training, is validation that He is our Father and we His true children by faith. That's true of the hardship of persecution in this context and it's true of the hardship you're going through. It's true of hardship as a parent. It's true of hardship as a single adult. It's true of hardship in your health or your your finances. You name the hardship and for the Christian it is coming, friends, from a Father who is relating to you as a child, he loves, and we need this interpretation, don't we? We need this interpretation of our hardships. Elizabeth Elliot was a woman who, who is a woman who knows about hardship. You might recall her husband Jim was martyred in Ecuador, but she has this this gospel interpretation. She once wrote a poem that I think think hits on this. I want to share this poem with you, track with what she says here. She said, I stood a a mendicant, which means a beggar. I stood a beggar of God before his royal throne. And I begged him for one priceless gift, which I could call my own. I took the gift from out of his hand. But as I would depart, I cried. I cried. But, Lord, this is a thorn, and it has pierced my heart. This is a strange and hurtful gift which thou hast given me. And he said, notice this, my child, my child, I give good gifts, and I gave my best to thee. I took it home, and though at first the cruel thorn hurt sore, As long years passed, I learned at last to love it more and more. I learned he never gives a thorn without this added grace. Catch this. He takes the thorn to pin aside the veil which hides his face. He takes the thorn which hurts. The thorn hurts. But he uses that... To pin aside the veil, that we would see his fatherly face. Friends, to what degree are you seeing that face? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not for a moment trying to minimize what anyone's going through. The thorn hurts, the thorn is painful. But here's, here's the interpretation we must have to endure. This is, this is training from a father who, who loves me. And then with that interpretation, the veil is pinned aside a bit and, and you see his face. And he's looking at you not with anger in his eyes. He's looking at you with love in his eyes. He's treating you as a child he loves. But then we should ask, okay, what's the response? If that's the father's training, how are we as God's children to respond? We'll see secondly here what I would call the childlike response. See secondly the childlike response. Verse 9. Verse 9, he tells us this. He says, besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, trained us, and, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be, be subject to the Father of Spirits, our Heavenly Father, and, and live? So notice he's, he's arguing here from the, the lesser to the greater. He said, if we respected our earthly fathers when they appropriately disciplined us, how much more, how much more should we be subject to, submitted to our perfect heavenly Father. And this this idea of subject to, you might use the word yield. Willingly yield to our Father's training. It is saying in essence, Father, I I will yield to this hardship. I'm not going to fight you in this. I'm going to yield to you because I trust you. You see, friends, we need, in the Christian life, we need We mean, a theology of suffering, a theology of trials, a theology that comes from the Bible. (laughs) I mentioned last week the movie Facing the Giants. I enjoyed that movie. Fun movie, I confess to you. Moment of honesty here, transparency. I tear up at the end. It affects me emotionally. High school football coach believes God can can uh, work through his team and and they can, if they believe God enough, they can have a good season and and he and his wife are are wrestling with infertility issues and against all odds, against all odds, the team wins the state championship and then his wife finds finds out they're pregnant with their first child, everything turns out great. But I had a professor ruin this movie for me. Because his professor said, that movie is heretical. And I think with all due respect, I think he's right. In this sense, it has no theology of suffering. It says, in effect, everything's going to work out just as you wish if you believe God enough. And friends, that's not true. Oh, everything will work out. But not as we wish, but as God wishes. And that's the distinction we have to make here. I am subject to you. I yield to you. I don't like this. I don't want this. I wouldn't choose this, but I trust you because you are my father and I'm your child. It's kind of like the child who comes to you, a runny nose, they're running a fever, they've got pain in their ears, and you take them to the doctor, and the doctor says, it, it's an ear infection, they need an antibiotic, they write you a prescription, you go to the pharmacy, you get some kind of antibiotic uh, liquid, and you show that to your child, good news, I've got medicine for you, you're going to really like this, and the child, the child knows, this is going to taste bad. They know they are they are street smart enough to say I ain't drinking that. And what do you say as a parent? You say my son, my daughter, I know it it doesn't look good, it's probably not going to taste good, but you got to trust me on this one. I'm out for your best. That's what this is like, isn't it? Charles Spurgeon was a man who modeled this for us. He was called the Prince of Preachers in Victorian England, but he knew real hardship. Spurgeon, Spurgeon battled depression for much of his life, though a great man of faith. Many people don't realize that. Spurgeon battled real hard depression. He was publicly slandered regularly. His wife, for most of their marriage, was an invalid, and he suffered from Painful, gout, but he said this one time. He said, God is too good to be unkind. Too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. I think that's what verse 9 means. Be subject to him. Trust his heart. Submit to him, yield is him, yield to him, because you because you trust his heart. In fact, Spurgeon had this such a trusting posture, he would, he would say at another time, quote, it would be very, a very sharp, he said, and, and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me. Catch that? It would be hard if I thought this affliction didn't come from God, that the bitter cup was never filled by His hand, that my trials were never measured out by Him or, nor sent to me by His arrangement, notice that, of their weight and quantity. He's saying the only way I endure is by knowing that my afflictions are sent by this God and measured out just as He thought they should be in His wisdom and care. Do you hear how childlike that is? How trusting. How submitted. See, I know... The, the challenge of the message like this is I, I know there are some really hard situations in this body and in this room. I know, I know some of you endured hard things just this week. And I, I stand before you as someone, to be all honest, have, has suffered very little in, in my life. But I know it's coming. It's coming for all of us. And so in my heart, my heart is spring-loaded to kind of fear future suffering. I I, I cringe from the idea. I want to shrink back. What if something happens to my dear wife? What what if something happens to my children? What if something happens to my health or their health or our finances or whatever? And and something will, of course, right? Right? But I, I I have a fear of that. I, I shrink from that. I, I cringe thinking about it. Can you can you relate to me? I need I need this childlike view that says, God is my father, I am his child. By your grace I will trust you. You are wise. And you are good. I will trust your heart. You see, there's a, there's a kind of response to trials that, that looks more like a raised fist, right? It's a clenched, raised fist. And it says, I will embrace your discipline, but I charge you, God, God, for not dealing with me rightly nor fairly. That's one way to respond. I just want to ask you, with all pastoral care and sensitivity, is that, is that you right now? It can be me at times. Is your heart kind of a clenched fist? If so, there's help here. Right? Take that situation and, and look through that gospel lens, that prism of being in God's family, and see that He is your Father who loves you. This is hard, but He loves you. And you, you are His child, and you can trust Him. Now, I realize in saying that, that for some of you, you did not experience you did not experience an earthly father who was a good example of love. And that that is very painful. And that can that can shape someone and affect their view of God in, in real ways. And I, I, I get that. I do. But you, friend, you're you're not a prisoner to your painful past. You can know that your heavenly Father is not like your earthly Father. Your heavenly Father is not like that. Your heavenly Father did not spare His divine Son with whom He had perfect fellowship from all eternity, but He, He gave Him for you. This can be just a handle for you to say, God is not like my dad. I have a good God, a good Father in heaven. And with with that gospel lens, we can lower our fists, right? With that gospel lens, we can even open our hands, as it were, in a, a posture of surrender, of trust, and say, I am your child. I trust you. Friends, see God's face. See his fatherly training. See then in, in this prism. See, see the childlike response that it is possible for us. And then thirdly, see one more thing. See the see the parental purpose. See thirdly here what you might call the, the parental purpose to keep the family analogy going here. Verse 10 verse 10 we read, for they, earthly fathers, they, they disciplined us for a short time. As it seemed best to them, they did the best they could. But He, God, our, our, our heavenly Father, He disciplines us, He trains us, notice, for our good, that we may share His holiness. So like a, like a good earthly father who has a good purpose for that training, how much more does the perfect Heavenly Father have a purpose? For the trial, the challenge, and the hardship. Notice a purpose that is for our good. Or, or you might say, for our advantage. I think, I think those three words are helpful to take home in your heart. For our advantage. Good that we may share His holiness. So here's here's what God's education process is after. Here's what His training is after in our hearts. He's helping us share in His character. He's transforming our lives to share more of His holiness. The holiness that should have crushed us in our sinfulness now is seeking to gently Mold us and, and shape us like, like Plato in his hands. That he gently shapes to reflect more of the image of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is our, this is our greatest good. In our hardships. Our greatest good is not a change of circumstances. It's fine to pray for that, of course. A change of circumstances is not our greatest good. It's a change in ourselves. God is not decreeing that our greatest good is change outside of us. He's decreeing that our greatest good is change inside of us. See, there there are means God uses to change us. We renew our minds with God's Word. We rely on His power through prayer. We, We pursue fellowship with His people. That's why we have small groups to do that. But here's another means God uses as our Father uses hardship. Trial and difficulty with a purpose to make us more like his son. There's a story, perhaps you've heard it, of a man who had a, a huge boulder in his front yard. He, he got tired of this huge boulder in his front yard. Clearly he didn't live in San Diego where we have these large boulders all over the place. He had this huge boulder in his front yard. He said, I'm going to change this boulder into a work of art. He took a hammer and chisel and apparently chipped away at this boulder until it became a beautiful elephant. And his neighbor asked him, How in the world did you turn that boulder into this elephant? And the guy said, I just chipped away at everything that didn't look like an elephant. Friends, that's what God is doing through hardship in our lives. In His love, He is chipping away at everything that doesn't look like His Son for our good. So the pain has a purpose. It hurts, to be sure. It hurts. It's painful. But it's not, it's not retribution for sin. Does God discipline us for unrepentant sin? Yes, but that's to turn us back in following Jesus. That's for our good. Here, trials and hardships and difficulties are a chisel in His loving hand that we become more like His, His Son. I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, God acknowledges that. Verse 11 Notice verse 11. For the moment, all discipline, all training seems painful. God acknowledges it's painful. It feels painful rather than pleasant. But later, notice that word. Later. Later, it yields. It produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So yes, it's painful, but God says, later on, my son, later on, my daughter, it's producing a harvest in your life. So trust the hand that holds the chisel. It has a purpose. You will reap a harvest. So you catch what God is saying here. You, see, you take your trials, your hardships, your difficulties and, and you, you look at them in this this prism of family, this this lens of being God's own family. God is your father, you are his child. Then you see this is this is father, my father's training, he trains those he loves. I can respond with a yielding trust, and it has a purpose, he's transforming me. So, friends, this is how we endure. This is how we, in the words of Churchill, never, never, never give up in following Jesus by faith. We use that prism. We look through that lens. When it's a parenting situation, we keep going as a parent because we know the perfect parents. When we're a single adult and there's a challenge, we we look through this lens and we know there's a a father who, who loves you and is purposefully, perfectly weighing out our circumstances. We let this lens interpret our lives as teenagers, as youth, because we are subject to the Father's loving training. He's transforming your life. He wants to. We look through this lens for the hard work situation, the hard financial situation, and that health crisis. That though we may not be able to trace His hand We trust his heart. This is how we endure. We let the good news of Jesus be our lens. He is our Father. You are his child. Let's pray that God would help us have that lens right now. We'll take the Lord's Supper together.